Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like, Jokic. your sitter. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Pundit Show. I am Zach Mikosh, DenverStiffs.com. It is 4 p.m. on a snowy Saturday here in Colorado. You guys are listening to Nothing But Net Radio, part of the Dash Radio Network. We are, well, now we're, we're what? This is our second show now removed from the Denver Nuggets season. Um, we are officially into the offseason it's a bit of a bummer, but uh, the show goes on, as they say, as they say. Uh, let me introduce my co-hosts. First off, in a much more sunny locale, it is Ryan Blackburn down in South Carolina. Ryan, what's happening? How's it going, Zach? Oh, you know, it's, right, we're, that's, we're that's it. Surviving a spring snow over here, so it's it is what it is. It's a good it's a good inside day. You know what I mean. Oh yeah, it's it's most definitely not that not that cold here. We've uh we've had a lot of heat. It's been eighty degrees multiple days in a row. I'm starting to get sick of it, so I can't wait to get back into Colorado pretty soon. Yeah, it sounds so terrible, Ryan. We really feel for you. We oh yeah, really feel for you in your eighty degree weather out there. Uh, I'm pretty hurt. Yeah, I'm pretty. <laughs> he's he's struggling. This is the struggle that Ryan has to fight through. Um. I'm pretty sure it is not 80 degrees out in Philly, but that is where our other host, Jeremy Poli, is at. Jeremy, what's going on, man? Just uh, just enjoying watching the, the Trailblazers get completely pulled yeah. apart by uh, a not not a great team. So, uh, And for once, there in Colorado, it's finally colder and snowier, and here I am kicking my feet up with my beer on a nice warm Philly day. So take that. How's the city of Philly been lately? It's been, how's the city of Philly been? It's been, it's been a lot of sports celebrations there lately. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when when the, uh, when the Phillies won the Super Bowl, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, (laughs) I just opened my window up and there's like, there's families singing in Italian down the street there's explosions going off behind my neighbor's houses. Um, it it was it was a pretty awesome uh, awesome experience. Like obviously a city that really appreciates their uh, sports. So you know everybody, whether they're close to sports or not, it, it became a family thing, a, a city thing. And as much as these guys uh, have some bad reputations when it comes to getting a little too angry with their teams, you know it's in the end when there's joy to be had. They know how to do it. That's awesome. Yep. It is. Zach, you know, you there? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here. I was. I was just thinking. I was. I was. I was thinking about Philly fans. You know, it's funny. Um, they're they, they get a reputation, obviously, for being a, a rough group, but they're they are passionate, and I think that's sometimes sometimes more important, right? I think uh, something the Nuggets could probably use a boost of is a little bit of. Yeah. more passionate fan base which we got to see a little bit this year so i'm always down with the philly fans i get it i get it eh. there's a whole thing about being a fan you yeah. might be going a little far there i wouldn't go that far oh, yeah. <laughs> all right well um so uh, since we're in the off season and we're we're we got really nothing going on in the nuggets world right now uh, I figure we'll we'll go ahead and we'll start breaking down some of the seasons that the players had. Uh, and and th- this week we'll actually we'll break down uh, Coach Malone's season as well, uh, and then try and take a little 
look to the future. We were going to do this last week with uh, Nicole Jokic, and then me and Gordon ran out of time. So we'll get that Jokic segment in first thing this time. Uh, then I'll then we'll do Coach Malone, um, and then we'll take a break. And I figure, you know, even though the Nuggets are, are not in the playoffs, um, we don't have to talk about Nuggets one hundred percent of the time. So let's talk about just we'll talk about the first round of the playoffs, kind of with some observations that we have seen, including uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, and their struggles. Uh, and then that should pretty much wrap up our show. So let's dive right in. Uh, let's Nikola Jokic, uh, obviously the, the, the linchpin of the, the Denver Nuggets and everything that they do. He had, I mean, I, I would still say definitely his best season um, of his career. Uh, he continued to trend upwards. Um, if you want to, I guess, how we'll kind of start this out is you can, we can grade these guys kind of on, uh, you know, were they a success, failure, or not even that, but, you know, w- would you consider the season a positive or a negative for them um, or just kind of par for the course? And for, so for Nicola, it's a bit of a mix. I mean, it's definitely a positive and I think it's a successful season for me, but it's also kind of par for the course, right? Because this is what you expected. Like, I think um, at the beginning of the year I said he would have, I would expect him to get 18 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. That's pretty darn close to where he actually ended up being at the end of the season. Uh, he was obviously, like we said, the the best player on the team uh, and, and played very well. So it's hard to knock the guy. It's hard, to, you know. Obviously, the season wasn't a failure or anything. And uh, don't get me wrong, he he was he was phenomenal. Um, but it just it's just kind of interesting, you know. It's like it's that's just what we expect. I think out of Nicole now, we all we all know it here. Where the people get to watch him uh, all the time, know how special he is. So it's like not a surprise to us. Uh, to see this kind of development, Ryan, is that is that kind of how you feel about Jokic, or do you think uh, you know the season was was one way or another was a was a, a successful one for him, or was it kind of just a uh, kind of a standard year? Well, I think you have to evaluate it from all angles. Honestly, uh, you kind of look at the counting stats. You look at eighteen and a half points, ten point seven rebounds, and six point one assists per game. You look at the three-point percentage, he shot 39.6% from three on nearly four attempts. Uh, Those are all increases over last year's totals, and it's been incredible to see his individual progression, uh, both as a scorer, as kind of a a captain of the offense, uh, because last year that was one of the things that, uh, that I still had questions for was, is he ready to be the captain of the group? The guy who takes control, the guy who everybody looks to, not necessarily to score, but just create. And he has certainly done that. Uh, I would like to see him do more of that in the future. And I think he still has a little bit of ways to go. But from that perspective, I think this season is definitely a success. He played 73 games. Or no, he started 73 games, played 75, uh, played the most minutes of his career so far. Uh, it's really hard to call that a failure, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, to me, it's 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 almost, uh, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, there's, there's just no way you could you could kind of really put a negative, uh, I think, light on his season overall. I mean, he had his ups and downs like everyone did. Uh, I think what's interesting is, is, is we really kind of saw this year, him develop into like you were talking about was like being like kind of the guy or the the captain and the uh, the focal point of the team. He 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 at the beginning of the season it seemed like he still kind of wanted to relinquish that uh, and was looking at Paul Millsap as kind of this guy to be you know to be the um, the 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 focal point if you will or the or the star of the team. Um, and then when Millsap went down, they re- there was like no other choice. It had to be Nikola at that point. He was the only guy who could carry them uh, night in and night out. And we saw him do it. And and I think that uh, you're right. That if nothing else, if you took anything from the season, that was probably the biggest positive. Um, Jeremy, I'm going to guess you're going to you're going to agree with us and say that it was a it was a positive season for Nikola. But what would you think? I mean, I guess what would you say would be the biggest positive or the biggest thing that you took away from it? Well, I mean, um, there's definitely a few, uh, I guess you could call it achievements that we could throw out there. Um, 10 triple doubles, you know, that's, that's not the, the true stat nerds favorite stat. Um, but I mean, he already has the most triple doubles 
of all time for any overseas player. Um, right. <laughs> and he's 20, that's insane. 23 years old. So, you know, more than anything, as much as that's not the greatest stat to measure, um, you know, uh, the greatness of a player by, um, it, it, it shows a style of basketball and, and that's something that we can get excited about. That's something that hopefully Malone is getting more excited about. That's something to get behind where we know that we can have um, games full of, um, you know, a, as it's coined now, the, the ball popping on offense where it's <laughs> it's shooting, it's movement, it's um, it's rebounding, it's aggressiveness. It's uh, it's a type of it's a style that any sort of basketball fan would like to watch. And at the same time, it's a style that um, other players want to probably want to be playing with. So. Um, um, that's definitely something to be happy about. But another thing that stuck out to me was, uh, he, he averaged about 32 and a half minutes per game. And that was right. a question that we were all kind of talking about when the season started, what, what could we expect from him? Um, and that's definitely, that's, that's a good improvement to me. Um, you know, the season before that he was right around 28 minutes. It was right around that point where you're starting to really have a big impact on the entirety of a game, but it was far from being uh, a prominent role player. Um, and, and even this season, Will Barton takes the cake as far as minutes played for the team. So there's there's still some room to grow there. When you look at the top players in the league, no matter what measurement you use, you use real plus minus or, um, I mean, pff, I play fantasy basketball, you use fantasy basketball. Uh, all these top players, for the most part, are all playing at, th- at least 34 minutes a game. A lot of these guys, Jimmy Butler, almost 37, Harden, you know, all these b- guys are playing lots and lots of minutes. So um, as we see Jokic kind of grow into just being able to be a, physically on the court, mentally on the court, um, that's definitely something that, that of course, we're seeing the improved stats as he goes, but um, the time that he's able to physically be on the floor and compete while he's on the floor is going to be huge. Right. Right, yeah, no, that that is a great uh, that was a great stat. One I didn't really think about, um, but but you're right because that was conditioning, right? Conditioning was a big uh, a big question mark for for Nikola coming into this season, and obviously he um, <clears throat> elected to not play with the Serbian national team, right? Uh, instead, to stay at home in Serbia um, and, and work on his conditioning. So um, it, that that is a, a good point to bring up that. He's his increase in minutes, and you're and you're right. He's still not quite there. Like there's, he's still you will probably want to squeeze him up to almost about 35 a game, um, but to see that jump and, and for him to be able to handle it, uh, because I don't think I mean it, it, he was probably at his best at the very end of the year. So um, for him to to be able to take that workload and excel at it, I think uh, is a great uh, is a great point. Let me let me ask you this though, Jeremy. Talking about that last kind of the last seven or so games there, where, where like I said, he was at his strongest. Right, he played. Uh, that's when he started. He racked up a bunch of triple doubles there at the end, um, right down into the very last game when he scored thirty five points uh, against the Wolves, including some some key buckets with a guy right in his. I mean, with Taj Gibson uh, giving him no room. Does that? Does that kind of give you, did that stretch run, because for me, like, and almost especially in that do it, uh, win or go home game, granted the Nuggets lose, but he played so well and he, and he, he scored even when they, he was defended well, um, repeatedly that, that started making me think, well, you know what, I've, maybe this guy, maybe he really is the type of guy who could be a number one, like top option, uh, on your offense and, um, and even at times be a guy who you, I guess, I think the thing I've always wondered is, can you lean on him when you need to get a basket? You know, like what if, what if the passing lanes are, are, uh, are defended well and he can't get one, get a cutter and, and, and create for someone else. Can you defend on or depend on Nikola Jokic to get you the bucket when you need it? I thought we saw that in that Minnesota game. Uh, and that gave me confidence going forward thinking that this guy could be like legit a number one option on a on a championship team do you kind of feel the same or or do you think that that maybe that was just kind of like a a flash in the pan i guess well i i i i believe in it but i think it's still a question i I think it's wrong to uh uh to to hang it up and say there it is 
he's made it. He, he is who he is. Um, I think it's still questionable. Um, I mean, he, he, we lost that game. Um, you know, you think right. of Michael Jordan, you think of him getting the game-winning shots. It's what made him Michael Jordan, his success. You think in any sports, um, you know, we don't talk about Dan Marino as much as we talk about Joe Montana or Tom Brady. Um, so, so in that small sample size, um, there's, there's definitely plenty to be critical of in that game that he did, um, especially in the last few minutes. Um, but you know, (laughs) take, take that 35 point game where the ball movement wasn't great. He forced his way through it. And really this kind of sums up the last seven games. We had a different style of offense, almost every single game that we went out, but the point is that we were winning each one of those games and compare that to earlier in the season when he went six straight quarters without a single point. And that's right. where you start to see, you don't even care about the, the stats. You don't care about the 35 point game. You care as a fan about that mental switch that, you know, went off in Jokic's head. And now, even though it's a short, I think sample really, it was that last, you know, seven or eight, eight games where he really took control and said, even when it's hard, I'm, I'm going to take the onus on me to even take a shot, even though we know him for passing, take take a shot because that that's what needs to happen here. Um, nothing else is working. I'm going to – and he made so many of those where it's like right. <laughs> completely guarded, weird, like offside, like uh, off-balance kilter, like 14-footer, and it just sinks right in perfectly. So, um, yeah, I, I believe it. But I think it's it's just too small, and, and hey, we didn't make the playoffs, and so we lost the last game. It's still up in the air. It's a question. All right, fair enough. Ryan, what about you? Do you agree with uh, Jeremy that either you still got to see a little bit more before you think, all right, Jokic is the guy who can who can take the Nuggets to where they want to go? Oh, no, I, I, I don't need to see anything more from him, honestly. Uh, I talked about how there's still some more growth that needs to be done, but – I still I have faith that he will do that. Uh, what I'm more concerned about is the rest of the team coming with him. Uh, this is this group is dependent on Jokic to create looks for them, and right. much like a, a James Harden or a LeBron James or a Chris Paul or those kinds of facilitators, if those guys aren't racking up the assists, then usually the team is going to lose. Uh, Jokic in the second half of the Minnesota game, he played extremely well, uh, scoring the basketball. What really gets lost in it is that he actually passed the ball really well too, but the Nuggets, other than Jokic, uh, in the second half and in overtime, went 3 of 14 from the three-point line. A lot of those looks were created by Jokic, by what he was doing with the ball, uh, just creating offense, uh, getting to the rim, kicking the ball out for an open three-point shooter. And when you don't have that and or when those shots don't go down, then it's really hard to blame Jokic on that. Like he's he's making right. the right play. The like if, if it's an open three-pointer, you gotta pass him the ball. Especially if it's a guy like Jamal Murray or Gary Harris or Will Barton or any of those three guards that the Nuggets have that have been extremely lethal from three-point land this season. So right. I'm not concerned about what he is doing. I think that the leader in minutes per game, I just looked this up before, uh, the leader in minutes per game among centers was Carl Anthony Towns at 35.6 or something sense. like that. Yeah, it's not, not surprising in the slightest. But what it does say is that Jokic does not have that far to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Stay out of foul right. trouble a couple of games. Uh, just... Condition yourself a little better. Uh, keep putting in the effort on the defensive end so you don't have to have a defensive sub. And those minutes start creeping up. And what's so big about that is when you you have to look at Jokic's on-off numbers. And I know that for the people at home who don't necessarily appreciate the box score stats, I are the, the advanced analytics, I understand. Uh, it's Sometimes it's hard to keep up with this. But and and even then, like sometimes it doesn't capture it doesn't capture the whole story and you can't just evaluate it from that small prism. Uh, But one thing that you can say 
is that Nikola Jokic's on-off rating, his his on-off plus minus per 100, was plus 10, basically. So for every 100 minutes that he wasn't on the floor, the Nuggets lost 10 points, basically, that they could have had. Yeah, exactly. And so if Jokic continues to condition himself, continues to improve, uh, the Nuggets get those 10 points back, they may be going to the playoffs, and they may be playing the Gold State Warriors right now as opposed to the the lottery odds. There you go. As opposed to that half percent chance at that number one pick. Wouldn't you rather have that, though? Well, I'm just joking. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in full agreement, Matt. Like, it's it's this next season, uh, Jokic has proven what he can do in the second half of the season. But in order to solidify that, that second half has to come in the first half this year. Right, uh, he right. can't wait. Uh, the offense cannot be tailored to another person or to include another person. This this offseason is about surrounding Nikola Jokic, the the horse that you acquire that you have, to be be your guy and to create the offense and to surround him with the best players that you can to put him in, in the nuggets in the best position to win. And yep. I don't think the Jokic has that far to go anymore. Uh all the advanced stats say it. Uh, you you can clearly visually see it in games like the Minnesota game. Uh, but he's just got a couple more steps, and then he is going to be the guy for the next 10 years. It almost seems like most of the steps at this point are just purely mental. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, he, to me, when I look at it, I'm like, if he's going to be, um, you know, if he's going to take that next step, which is really at this point the final step, you know, and become like a true star player. Uh, you know, he's got, uh, it's almost like he's just, he's just gotta, uh, he's gotta not, he's gotta control, I think his emotions better, uh, and not, not get, not live and die with some of the refs calls or non calls. I thought that was an issue, um, that we saw this year, which we saw last year too. He did improve, uh, this year in that when he got frustrated with, uh, with the refs, he didn't just automatically foul someone. Um, that, so I guess that was an improvement, but that, and then, and then just again, continuing like we've, what we've been talking about, like he's got to continue to understand that this, this offense flows through him, right? Like you were saying, Ryan, and that this is, um, this is the, 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 like we said, the linchpin of this, this team, um, is, is going to be him. So you gotta, you've got to bring it from game one. Uh, we can't, you can't just wait. Well, and not that he did wait, but you can't, you can't just recognize that. Okay. I got to turn on the switch. Um, for the stretch run like that that switch just has to be on uh, all the time that's what they and, need from him and i uh, just one more thing linchpin you you mentioned him being a linchpin uh that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to touch the ball every possession he just right. has to be acting like the player who will touch the ball every possession and he needs to be a threat and he can't just run to the corner when it's when it's convenient for the offense to continue flowing in that way because he's not getting the ball in his spot so he needs to right. continue to demand the basketball or make the right play and make the right read to create as much space for others as possible. And if that means he has to shift other people behind him and tell them, hey, you go stand in the corner. I'm not standing in the corner. You go stand in the corner. Then that's fine. That's that needs to be the best. That needs to be the next step, in my opinion. Right. Right. Really kind of take take the reins um, of the team in general. All right, I am gonna we're gonna we're gonna shift gears, uh, and I'm gonna move us into our next topic, which is the coach, Coach Malone. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 bury this lead. We're gonna make people actually have to listen to this one because I don't wanna I don't wanna have the comment section on fire again after after Mr. Mars's podcast earlier. Um, but uh, so I mean, there there's no more polarized the most polarizing figure on the Nuggets right now. Like like clearly, hands down, and then nobody even else comes close. Um, it's it, I don't know. Will Barton comes close. Well, yeah, all right, yeah, you're right. Will the Will's very polarizing as well. Um, but but coach, I mean, like. So, again, if you go back kind of start out how we did with Jokic, if you look, okay, what was this season a, a success for him? Was this season a failure? Uh, was it kind of par for the course? Uh, it's, again, it's kind of almost, I have the same feeling as I did with Nikola. Like, it's it's a successful season in my eyes. I mean, the, the team um, improved their record by six wins. They were they were in it into the last four seconds of the final of game 82. Um, and, and they they did that with, 
with missing Paul Millsap for a large amount of time. Granted, most every other Western Conference team missed somebody uh, as well. Um, you also, you know, you lost Gallo, and so you had to you had to make that go through that adjustment as well. Um, we saw improvement from Jamal Murray, from Gary Harris, from Nikola Jokic. Uh, all in all, I think when you take a step back and you look at the season as a whole, and this has kind of been my argument the whole time. When you look at when you look at the season as a whole, and you look at the job that Coach did, it's hard for me to say that he didn't have a successful season, or or that it was okay. This was kind of par for the course. This is what we've seen him do for the past uh, three seasons that he's been here. Was it was it like oh my gosh, he went above and beyond all of expectations? No, it wasn't. But did he did he fall short of expectations? In my eyes, he didn't. You know, I mean, I think all of us thought thought that they were going to make the playoffs this year, and expected that uh, if they didn't, there there would be a chance that coach could be on the hot seat. But I think the organization looked at it the same way. Is like when you take all the factors uh, into account in what what happened during this season, um, it's really hard. And then especially the way they finish, um, it's re- it's just really hard to hard to to say that he didn't have a good year. Um, Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Cause I, I, I think it, like, I, I can, I can see why people would, would say that this was not, I mean, because simply because they didn't make the playoffs, um, that people could say the season was a failure, uh, for coach, but is that, do you think that's fair? Or I mean, do, does it have to be a little bit more of a, like a nuanced evaluation? Um, I'm going to call it a failure and oh, man, all right, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to stick it <laughs> right there. I, I, I'm going to call it a failure. And I'm going to start by saying, by pointing out that he's had a 16-win improvement over the past three seasons. Because that's that's kind of um, where he's resting his laurels as far as anybody's argument for him um, succeeding um, or having a su- successful season. And so let's dive into that. 16 wins, improvement. I'm like, okay, you know, we're clapping. I'm happier. I'm way happier than I was three years ago. But if you replace him with any random coach, what is the potential that we see something less, the same thing, or maybe something more? I think um, when you talk about the style of play that he's brought into this, um, he's talked about... um, you know, last last season, he had this great uh, run with Jokic, number one offense. And then he in the off season, he comes in wanting to run everything through Paul Millsap. He talks about playing um, defense, and we don't play defense. He talks about um, coaching plays, and when he releases the reins, our team plays better without him calling the plays. So there's a lot to be questioned there. Now, when I think of like a, a great coach, somebody who's evident, um, another person I might have already brought him up, Bill Belichick is a guy who knows how to win. He's proven that he is a quality coach. And, and what do you think of when you think of Belichick? What, what, what do you think of? There's probably a few things that he's known for, but what do, you, what do you think of with his success? What comes to mind? What does he do? Better Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Oh, I hate you guys. Okay. <laughs> Both of you. No, I, I think one of, one of the things that I, I see Tom Brady doing, or I'm sorry, Bill Belichick doing, is he commands the locker room. Mm-hmm. He is a, like, his stuff, his systems, his principles right. are consistent throughout the organization. It's his way or the highway. Uh, they kind of have, I, I would guess, the Patriot way which you can argue about that way if you want to, but like, um, it's, it's, it's one of those things things where, go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. I was going to say, I mean, so with two things on that, uh, one, one, uh, coach Belichick can get away with his way or the highway because he's got the, what, what, five rings to back it up. Um, and, and the other thing I think that that's a really high bar. Uh, to set for for a coach right there, you're talking about arguably the greatest National Football League coach of all time, um, and, and and trying to compare Coach Malone to that. And I, I mean, I I don't know. So, like, so, I, I get what you're saying. Like, there's there's a lot in there that that. So that anytime coach that, could learn, anytime you want to succeed, you, you want to look at at the who is succeeding. 
This is true in basketball. This is true in sports. This is true in business. Um, who is succeeding and why? And so, uh, of course, um, I didn't. I didn't even choose a, a basketball co- coach from the NBA. I went straight to another sport because I think he kind of idolizes um, what a winning coach is and and how he achieved those five rings. You brought that up. Um, now he's able to kind of walk around and and, and tilt the line. But um, I, I think of you know all those players. It could be any random night that any one of these guys get their name called because they have a genius who's who's running things. He he's prepared to get a win no matter how it it can it can happen and on the nuggets team ryan brought up the the 10 point differential when when jokic is on the court when we get wins there is one reason why we get wins and that is jokic and so i have to question what kind of coach is is showing his ability to to mold a team and to have success when the only reason why we're getting wins is very clearly one player on the court. So no, I, I, I see what you're saying there and I under, I understand it. I would also like to point out that somebody like Gary Harris has a plus five on off. And, and while you, it, it really is the starters and the starting unit. And a lot of that is because of Jokic, but a lot of what what has helped Jokic in that starting lineup be successful is the fact that Malone put him with guys in Gary Harris and Jamal Murray who aren't prototypical point guards. They are guys who are willing to do the dribble handoff offense. There are guys who are willing to back cut, willing to play within that system. Uh, you have... Wilson Chandler, who for all intents and purposes has kind of shut up this year and just and just uh, been the starter and really improved in the second half of the season because of the faith, and I won't say because of the faith that Malone showed in him, but that certainly had something to do with that. Like, they kept him around. They didn't throw him out into the cold like chopped liver. Uh, I think that when you're talking about what Malone has done versus what another coach has done, you have to go back to the development of these young guys. You knew that they were going to develop. You don't necessarily know to what extent they are going to develop. And there's a reason why the Nuggets have one of the best young cores in the league. Malone has played them. Malone has let them play through their mistakes. He has he inserted Trey Lyles and it was in his ear the entire season and said, hey, we may need you. And it turns out he was right, and Lyles put in great minutes for the Nuggets. Now he wasn't—he probably wasn't in Kenneth Farid's ear, uh, and that is a flaw. And that is something that I think that he does need to improve. Is he needs to understand the rest of these guys and appreciate that they that they need to be worked into the rotation as well. Guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez and Trey Lyles and Malik Beasley. Those young guys have something to offer for this Nuggets team. And Malone has to be willing to extend the rotation and come up with ways to make those guys successful. Uh, he has to put them in the best position to win, and he will if you let him. But he hasn't, and that's why I'm calling it a failure. Okay, so hold, hold on, though. So, see, here's the thing. Um, I think... Like, 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 I get again. I, I, I'm with you, Ryan. That I, I get what you're saying, Jeremy. Right? Like, like, you have uh, clearly Nikola Jokic is our best player, and it's like, why would you try to not utilize him and not do what he does best? Like, why? Exactly. why that that just seems too too simple of logic um, to do anything else. I think, and some of it is, is I think Coach recognizes the weaknesses within Nikola's game, um, and he's trying to make him a better player. Uh, by pushing him a little bit out of his comfort zone. Now that's something you probably you should save maybe more for practice than than in a game. If that's truly what he's doing, I'm just speculating, of course. Um, but I I don't what I don't prescribe to is the narrative is, is is that in some way like he he doesn't like that he doesn't recognize how special Jokic is uh, and how good he is because I man I've heard him talk about it so many times um, and, and and I've seen him. You know, I've seen that look in his eyes when he talks about Nikola and how special he is. To know that, you know, to know he's not bullshitting you. He that he truly believes that. Um, and then, and then with the with the rotation thing, you know, he's tried that. Like he tried, 
that that was something we saw quite a bit last year. He tried going to like a 10, 11 man rotation and it just it just didn't work. Guys just didn't get into the grooves. They were they were coming off the bench and and they were always cold. Um and it just didn't kind of it didn't kind of work out, which is why I think this year he he definitely tightened it up, right? We he played a pretty much an 8 man uh, if maybe sometimes a nine-man rotation, uh, but almost never went out to a ten-man rotation unless for uh, some some sort of weird thing. But maybe maybe right, Ryan. Maybe he needs to try to uh, look for just certain, maybe not regular rotation minutes, but certain situations more often where a player like a Juancho Hernan Gomez or a Malik Beasley uh, or a Kenneth Freed might be able to might be able to help out the team. I can I can I can agree to that. Let, let me um, say. Well, one of the things, one of the things, when you look around the league, you look at some of the best teams in the NBA and how they use not just their stars and their their role players, but their end of bench guys. What, how do they perform in certain situations? I look at a team like Boston, and and you talk about Brad Stevens all you want, but what he does is he optimizes guys who aren't necessarily the most talented players, but he knows them and he puts them in the best position to play. Like a guy like Shane Larkin right now is playing playoff. Can I, oh, let me give you, let me give you a name uh, as, as a counter argument that, that, that I would say Malone does that. Tory Craig, he brought him up. He, oh, he yeah. brought him up. He said, I'm going to play him because I think he can play. I'm not going to bring him up and just waste his time up here. Uh, which is, I guess, was smart in hindsight. All right, how I'll give you that. Got with Tory Craig's aid. But that, that's a perfect example of, of, I think, of a player that he did do that with, where he said, you know what, this is a guy who, who can play. I'm going to put him in a position where he'll be successful. Uh, and, and, and for the most part, it worked out pretty well. Um, Jeremy, I wanna get, I'm going to give you the last thought on this, and then we gotta, then we got to hit a break. Okay, so let me hit on a few points. Zach, you brought up um, the uh, accreditation that Malone has given Jokic, but... Who did he say the MVP of the team was this season? Gary Harris. He said everybody. That, but that's uh, like, he said Nikola Jokic should be the NBA MVP. But okay, that that, that was uh, recently. That was within like the past few weeks. Am, am I correct? Because right. well, yeah, it was like within the last month or so. Of the, right. Of the, of the so so he has changed his tune. I'll point out a, a, a few positive things here. Um, he, okay, so in February he gives up. <laughs> gives up coaching the offense and and realizes there's there's a benefit to that. Then he starts giving Jokic uh, much more uh, a credit for his play. Um, oh, what were some other things here? I should have written this list down. Um, this is, uh, you're you're getting like a C minus in your debate class. I know. Um, presentation. <laughs> but so 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 he, uh, oh he brought motivation. He brought up motivation. Um, he was saying he's always said that motivation is not something you have to coach. Uh, and he he apologized a, again a few weeks ago and said, "You know what? I, I haven't been doing this. I think I need to start doing it." And and look what happened. We had, we had a seven game win streak there. So was it seven or six? I'm starting to get confused. It was six. I just but went from minus to a D minus. Um, but so I'm at the point Wait. now where where I I'm I'm willing to give him another shot here. And he's been saying a lot of sweet talk the past couple of months, uh, past month, the past two months. So, you know, I'm going to forgive him here. I'm going to give him one more shot. And I'm just starting to run out of forgiveness. The amount of times I've forgiven him, it's like we're dating. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Excellent, excellent analysis there um, by Mr. Foley. I like it. I like it. All right, tell you what, we are going to go ahead and hit a break. Um, and then we will come back. We're gonna get off the Nuggets, uh, and and we're gonna. You know, I thought I like this. This is the, we're always so agreeable on the pickaxe. This is maybe one of the first times we've actually had a good, a good debate where we we had all uh, opposing sides. I thought it was good, but um, we're gonna go ahead and hit a break, and then we'll go. We'll talk about the playoffs, just some regular NBA playoff uh, stuff. We'll check in on the first round, see how that's going. Uh, so we will be right back. Welcome back into the Pickaxe Punnett Show. 
Zach Mikosh, DenverStiffs.com. I'm here with Jeremy Poley, Ryan Blackburn. Sup? We spent, sup? <laughs> we spent the first um, first half of the show talking about uh, Nicole Jokic's season and and breaking that down, and then we had a good good debate about Coach Malone and, and his season and and uh, and everything that went into that. Uh, now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a break off the Nuggets. Um, as we tend to do here in the uh, in the in the off season, because unfortunately Denver's still not, not still not playing playoff games. Uh, as we as we point they out, they will, guys. Guys, will. come on. They this is this is this streak is ending next year. We it's, hope it's always jinxes. been ending. Don't no, it's us. it's it's not a jinxable thing. Like this is fine. This We're is good. fine. We're good. Done. Lock it in. Ryan Blackburn says, "Take your money down to Vegas." <laughs> bet on the Nuggets in the playoffs next year. Hey, I told you to bet on the over, and I was right. <sighs> it's true. I told you to bet on the under, and I was wrong. That was a good. That was a yeah. good line. That was a good line by Vegas, though. What was it? Was it was forty five and a half? Yeah, I think we're all forty six. So they, they they pretty much nailed that one on the nose. Um, anyways, right. <laughs> let's get into the, let's talk about some some regular NBA playoffs. Um, and and I want to start. I want to start by talking about my favorite NBA team in the playoffs right now, which is the Portland Trailblazers and our good friend Yusuf Nurkic. They're down three games to none. The three-seed Portland Trailblazers down three games to none to the uh, to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, so it's looking like the Pelicans will go ahead and wrap that one up uh, tonight. Ryan, what, what's going on? Like, uh, I thought – so um, – you know, Adam uh, Adam Ott is our, our our site manager. Kind of, he tweeted out, uh, you know, something. One, he talked about how Portland was healthier um, than everybody this season, which I thought was, which is definitely true. Um, also, uh, Ray Martinelli, one of our one of our frequent uh, commenters, has pointed out that like uh, Portland also had a really good stretch of playing Western Conference playoff teams uh, when they were uh, injured, when someone on their team was injured. They they Portland tend to catch people when they were on a downswing, um, and then and then just the thing you know, the fact that the seeds three through ten were so tight, like it's it's just not a normal three seed. I think all all the seeds seeds three through ten, like I think any of those teams you play a seven game series, uh, depending on the matchups. But you know, most teams are only going to win a seven game series against the other one, maybe six out of ten times. It's it's going to be pretty. Uh, pretty even match. Brian, what do you think? Do you think it's just a matter of maybe the Blazers were a little bit of fool's gold? Uh, or is there something else going on there with them just kind of getting manhandled by the Pelicans? I don't even think the Blazers are that good. <laughs> Boom! Well, I mean, okay, they are good. It's it's not about that. It's more about how they are designed and how easy it is for a team with uh, all NBA defensive team talent to neutralize them. Uh, and the Pelicans are pretty much a, they're a pretty darn good team or a formula, we'll call it, to uh, to stop this Blazers team. They have all all defensive team, Drew Holiday. He has been incredible right. this, yeah, he's, this he's year. Been awesome. uh, and in the playoffs, he's in, been great. In playoffs, he's been just absolutely stellar. Uh, one of the one of the forgotten uh, two way players in the NBA, based off of what he's provided, and when they signed Rajon Rondo, mm-hmm. uh, he was able to really focus more on shooting guard abilities and just being able to score. and And he's clearly shown the ability to do that. Uh, like Gary Harris, he's one of the more efficient guys. And when you talk about that, his efficiency combined with his defense has put a match on what Portland has been able to do. Uh, usually their guys, uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, are so efficient. And so they just come at you in waves. And they have the ability to go off for 50 any night. Uh, w- against the Pelicans, they have just been completely neutralized right. by not only Drew Holiday, but Anthony Davis, who has completely walled off the paint against them. And Rondo, uh, it's been, too. Yeah, yeah, Rondo, Rondo, playoff Rondo is a real thing. Right, uh, he's been he's been amazing. Uh, but for the from the Blazers' perspective, you have Damian Lillard. I've never been a huge fan of CJ McCollum's game. Uh, he has scoring potential. 
and when his shot is not going, then it's really, really hard for him to be an effective player. Uh, and then you've got a lot of other guys in uh, Mr. Baby Bosnian Beast, uh, who has just <laughs> completely like wet himself against Anthony Davis. Like He just cannot guard him. Right. He has been unable to stay on the floor. Uh, he's been getting the Enes Cancer treatment, honestly, uh, <laughs> where Enes Cancer was unable to be played in the Oklahoma City-Houston series last year. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic has been the same way because he cannot keep up with Anthony Davis. And while nobody can, he's not providing enough on the offensive end that it makes it palatable. Right. Yeah, so, he's... so he's had that was supposed struggles. To, that was supposed to be a big three. And right now it's a big one and a half. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so that the thing is that the Pelicans, man, that's probably like the toughest matchup uh, the Blazers could have drawn because they have Rondo and Holiday who are such uh, such good defensive guards. Uh, they can they can they're more than happy to go up against that that uh, backcourt duo of, of Portland's and they're more than happy to, to play them. And it's. It's really if you take that away from Portland, I mean, what do they have? You know, they they like we like I said, Nurkic is not going to get it done for you, especially on the offensive end. We know that, especially when you're going to be up against a guy like Anthony Davis, who he can't just body you know body down into the lane um, and try and bully his way into baskets. Uh, I, I mean, you know, otherwise uh, they've got they've got a little couple of guys like I mean, Mo Harkless has been. Uh, has been hurt. Uh, you know, you look at the rest of that roster. Evan Turner is, eh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's nobody, there's nobody else on there outside of McCollum and Lillard that that makes you that you really feel like is gonna be a big threat on offense. Uh, and so if you neutralize the neutralize those two guys, uh, it pretty much puts puts Portland back on their heels. Um, Jeremy, what do you think, man? Do you think uh, it's just a bad bad matchup for Portland, or are they just uh, as Ryan said, they're just not very good? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both. I, I definitely agree. I, I think um, Portland was getting a lot of hype from the media um, towards the end of the season because they were kind of the only team out of this mishmash that was that was starting to create some space. But um, yeah, you know they they've always fed off of. So you got these great shooters on the outside. They've always fed off of um, putting the ball into the paint and then squeezing it out again to to somebody on the perimeter. And and they did that with Plumley. Actually, they, they considered him one of the best passing centers in the league, and I think one of the big reasons why we kind of went after him, um, kind of was just trying to get rid of Nurkic, but kind of went after him. Hundred um, percent. And then and then they get Nurkic, and they're like, oh hey, he can actually pass too, until he hits the wall called Anthony Davis. Like <laughs> it, it has completely <laughs> changed the rhythm of their offense. They can't just just throw the ball into the paint and expect a great pass out of it because <laughs> it's just with Anthony Davis lurking in there, when you pass the ball into the paint, just anything can happen. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I don't want to take it away from the Pelicans. Um, you know, right. we, we, you already covered Drew Holiday, um, been sensational this playoffs. So you have Holiday basically winning a game. You have Davis basically winning a game. Him and Rondo, Rondo had 17 assists that first game. Um, Rondo's ha- almost at 40 assists. I looked this up. Almost at 40 assists in the, these three games here. Um, but they also one game was almost won by the bench. The bench had a huge right. game. So just everybody coming together. Um, you know, let's also give Finch and and Gentry some credit. Um, it's just great to watch. I've been loving it. You know, I think any other any other. It, it's also a credit to to the West, just just all these teams. The fact that there really has been, you know, a third seed here is is about to fall apart. Um, just any of these teams from three to eight, um, any any given night, they could beat each other. Like it, it's right. just so tight. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, I absolutely agree. Let me ask you guys this because. When you talk about all these teams from three to eight, the, the team who I think actually three through eight uh, is is the worst is, is probably the Spurs, who are just kind of um, had such a, man. They've just had such a tough season, and then obviously uh, with the terrible news about uh, Coach Popovich's wife, 
Uh, it's just like it's just the the last thing to go on to them. Um, but I also been I've also been impressed by just the way the Warriors, a team who a lot of people you know Nuggets fans kind of wanted the Warriors, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and wanted to take on that them because of their their health issues. Uh, they pretty much come out and handled the Spurs uh, so far this this these playoffs. Also the Boston Celtics. I mean they're another team who's been uh, been sh- just kind of ravaged by injuries. Uh, granted, Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee gave them some trouble last night, but uh, they've they've uh, certainly not. Their demise has been uh, maybe a little bit a little bit over embellished so far. Ryan, how impressed are you with with those two teams? Is it, I guess let me ask you this: Is it a matter of did we just really make too much of of uh, the injuries, uh, or is it a matter of maybe just the teams that they're playing just maybe aren't that good, or are are these guys uh, are these guys just playing really impressive? Now, see, this is this was always going to be what happened if the Warriors and Spurs met for a series. Right. Like we saw last year, just how overmatched the Spurs were uh, when Kawhi went down, and even though Steph is out of the is out, like the Warriors have compensated by throwing Andre Iguodala in there as the point guard, as opposed to somebody like Quinn Cook or Sean Livingston or another member of the team, uh, and that's worked for them. Uh, they've been able to play their best players the most time. Uh, I mean, Quinn Cook is coming off the bench and he's shooting like 40% from three. Um, they've got guys like Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney and David West are all playing reasonably well as the backups. Uh, honestly, I don't think it's really a Warriors like solution as much as a Spurs problem. The Spurs look overmatched because they are a team that's built for the regular season. Once the Warriors were able to sit down and scout them and understand, and like especially guys like Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, guys who can really change the game defensively, once they're able to sit down and scout the Spurs, uh, you really see how they go to LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, which guys are feeding off of that, how are they reacting when certain sets are gone are going certain ways and and then you start to see the talent emerge when the preparation is kind of on the same plane for everybody uh the talent on golden state is far outstrips the talent on the spurs like let me just run through the starting fives really quick golden state is starting draymond green andre Godala, kevin durant clay thompson and javel mcgee the spurs are starting lamarcus aldridge rudy gay patty mills uh, Danny Green and DeJounte Murray. Like, it's it's just drastically different. And depending on how you value each of those guys, the Warriors guys are going to be playing a ton of minutes. Uh, the Spurs guys have not been playing a ton of minutes this year, except for LaMarcus, uh, simply because their bench is so deep. And right. the bench has not been the advantage for them in the postseason because they cannot take advantage of other opposing benches. Uh, the Warriors are just are so top-heavy, but but like that top is like a nuclear missile, uh, that it's hard to get those guys to be effective. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's just a matter of just the, the Spurs just being... Um, completely outmatched. All right, Jeremy, I'll throw over to you kind of here with this last question because um, we, we didn't touch on the Celtics there. The Celtics, I think it's, it's just more to be expected so far, right? We've seen the home teams pretty much hold serve uh, in that in that um, matchup, and it's the Bucks still very much um, should be able to. Yeah, I mean th- that one could go all seven games, so I think it's uh, still very much a very even series. But let me throw this over to you, Jeremy. So. Uh, with the Celtics being hurt the way they are, we saw so Indiana now up two games to one uh, on Cleveland. Washington gets a game back from Toronto. The, that's so far the home teams have held serve um, in that series. And then, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, oh God! I, I know, right? Uh, and then, uh, what's our other? What's the other Eastern Conference series that I'm? Who am I uh, missing here? Well, Who's the other good good got... Eastern team? Philly, Miami, Toronto, Philly, Philly, Washington, yeah, Philly, Miami, Philly, I, and then I mean I, I guess Philly's Philly's be kind of maybe the looking the strongest. I guess if I'm looking at it, right now, I might think that the Philadelphia 76ers are the team to beat um, in the playoffs. 
uh, or in the Eastern Conference. Jeremy, what about you, man? If you had to pick one team to come out of the Eastern Conference right now, who is it? The team to beat. The team to beat is Cleveland. That that's every kid who's imagining playing in the championship this season is imagining that they're either, you know, on, on Cleveland or playing against Cleveland. Uh, it's just they they are the king. They are who you have to go through, even though they're looking weaker right now. They're they're the team to beat. Um, I, I do think that Philadelphia. You brought them up. I think they have the most to gain out of this. Um, I think they have more ability and more potential, and um, are most likely to reach that out of any of these teams. Um, you know, this could definitely be their off season to make themselves the name, to make themselves the team to beat next year. But um, but right right now it's 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 gotta be Cleveland. You, it's gotta be LeBron. It's gotta be Cleveland. Yeah, I, that is. I mean, it's tough to pick against uh, LeBron in, in in like any situation because it's you you know what he's capable of, um, and you know that like if, just like we were talking about playoff Rondo, like playoff LeBron uh, is is a different beast, uh, and, and and there are games. Uh, that we we are going to see uh, the heat where he is simply just going to say no, we're not losing this game. Um, and I <laughs> like against to, us, I'm going to just <laughs> flat out will my team to a victory because he that. can do that. And he's probably about the only one of only maybe like three players in the entire NBA who can do that. So I I, I agree. I just I don't know, man. They've Indiana's Indiana's been uh, impressive. So I and it, it's you have to wonder. I think on with Cleveland, just like it, they're so bad at defense, like they're so bad. Um, is it going to end up just biting them in one of these games? Um, I, I think it could. Uh, Ryan, real quick, man, what about you? If you were going to pick a team to come out of the East, who's it going to be? Well, if I'm picking a team, I'm picking Philly. Uh, I do think that Cleveland is still the team to beat, as they said. Uh, as 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 you guys have have said for sure. Uh, until you beat LeBron James in a four in four game straight not straight, but like out of a series, then he is still the reigning king of the East. Right. However, I, I do think that time is coming to a, a an end pretty quickly, and it could be coming in the first round. Like Indiana went up 2-1. Uh, LeBron did what he could, but he just doesn't seem to have the help this time around. So right. if I'm looking at a team, I'm looking at, Philly, I'm looking at them for the next 10 years to be battling Boston for supremacy in the East and saying, oh my God, that team uh, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Robert Covington Uh. and Markel Fultz coming up and a variety of other uh, veteran players who they could continue to cycle through. They don't have to keep the same veteran guys. They could just cycle through a bunch of different ones. And a lot of people are going to want to play with Ben Simmons, and a lot of people are going to want to play with Joel Embiid. So I see them as the favorite at the moment, but anything anything could change at any time. This is the most open the East has ever been, uh, or maybe not ever, but in the last eight years or seven years that LeBron has been to the finals. So I I definitely see him... uh, struggling in this next couple of series all right that is gonna that is gonna wrap up the show we are right out of time so perfect uh ryan is at what nba blackburn right yep that's the one uh, that's the one uh jeremy's at jeremy poley i am uh, or is it jeremy underscore poley nope just jeremy poley Jeremy Foley. See, I gotta, I gotta just trust myself with these things. Um, I am, of course, at Zach Mikosh, uh, at Denver Stiffs, uh, at NBN-Radio. These are, of course, all Twitter handles, if you hadn't figured that out. Um, We're on Instagram, at the Denver Stiffs. Uh, Over on Facebook, give us a follow. Make sure to um, like the posts over there. Jeremy always appreciates that. (laughs) Uh, And if you are on our podcast listening to the podcast version one um why aren't you listening to us on nothing but net radio on saturdays at 4 p.m but if you are listening to the podcast version uh, i guess you can go ahead and subscribe leave me a rating that would be appreciated all right jeremy ryan appreciate you guys being on thank you thanks for having me all right everybody we'll talk to you next week
It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs.